0: Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. Boots. Where would we be without books? Where would we be without doing birds? Hello, and welcome back to Bookworm. I'm Evan Kleiman, sitting in for Michael Silverblatt. My usual beat is as host of Good Food, a show that looks at life through the lens of food. This week, I'm in conversation with L.A.-based writer Michelle Hunnevin. She's the author of the recently released Search, a novel. She's also written four other books, Round Rock, James Land, Blame, and Off Course. Her books have been New York Times Notable Books and finalists for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award. I love her books for lots of reasons. They're sly and sometimes outright hilarious. They deeply explore Los Angeles, both in terms of place and people, and she always seems to use food as a way into her characters' lives and the milieu they inhabit. Sometimes the line seems pretty thin between Michelle herself and her novels. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Evan. Happy
1: to be here.
0: Is that a fair statement about the line between you and your novels being at times pretty thin?
1: Well, especially with this last novel, Search, not so much with Blame, which had a woman who killed two people and went to prison. That was totally fictional. Uh, However, Dana in Search, uh, I had a lot of fun choosing a lot of things from my own life to, to give to Dana. But if anything, she's kind of an enhanced version of me. I mean, she has a staff job at the LA Times. I was always freelance. She has two mini donkeys, which my husband won't let me have. And um, she has best-selling, best-selling books, always a dream.
0: <laughs> so the book search, we should say, is about a woman, Dana, who is searching for more at her Unitarian Universalist church and thinks she's found a way toward it when she's asked to join a search committee for a new minister.
1: There are two searches going on in the book. Um, one is Dana's 54 years old. She's itchy as all get out. She's been in the same job for oh, a couple decades. She's been going to the same church just as long. And uh, she just needs some new ways to reconnect. She needs something to revitalize her, her food writing and something to revitalize her church going. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm just going to read a tiny little piece. I was hungry, she says, for intense discussions of spiritual issues, theological trends and ministry itself, subjects that my husband and my a-religious friends were not inclined to explore. Faith, surrender, Baptist polity, the flames all mystics see. But that's not exactly what
1: ensues. No. She has high hopes for the search committee. Dana um, had spent two years in seminary. There was a period in her life where her journalism career was just not taking off. And she wanted to do something, you know, more meaningful and strenuous than writing restaurant reviews for a throwaway newspaper in Monrovia. So she applies to seminary. She has a minister she admires and hopes that she can somewhat like him, and she spends two years in seminary, but of course, she no sooner goes down that path than the Times offers her a good staff position. So she has a decision to make, and it's one that has come up again and again. Did she make the right decision um, going back into food journalism or um, becoming a minister? She did not become a minister, but she loved her time in seminary, and she loved those discussions. As you yourself maybe did? As I myself maybe did, exactly.
0: How long were you in seminary? What, what was your flirtation with the ministry like?
1: I was in seminary for two years at the Claremont School of Theology, and I have to say I loved every minute of it. I mean, there's nothing like going back to school when you're a little bit older, I just you know, drank it in. I loved my colleagues. I loved my professors. I even loved driving to Claremont from Pasadena. Beautiful drive on the 210. And um, I don't really share Dana's equivocation. Um, I don't think I would have made a good minister. Like Dana, I'm not very political. I'm a blurter. I say things I shouldn't say. And that can get you into so much trouble as a as a minister.
0: Talk about where the novel takes place, because I feel like placemaking in your books is is a huge character.
1: Well, um, the novel takes place in Altadena, and some of that is a result from a difficult uh, time I had with my third novel, Blame. I spent a year trying to decide where to set Blame, and it, I couldn't write it until I set it somewhere and first i thought boise idaho then i thought sacramento i even went up there to check it out and i finally decided to set set it in pasadena um, and altadena and la cañada everywhere that's just like a three mile radius of my house and i sort of thought well most novels after this i'm only going to set in a familiar place in fact i'm only going to set it in altadena um and so, Search is my first really Altadena-centric novel. Altadena is where I live.
0: For people who have never been to Altadena, um, can you sort of share what it's like, and in particularly your life, your house, which mm-hmm. is Dana's house? <laughs> um,
1: Altadena, I love Altadena because it's a little bit of a funkathon. Uh, it doesn't have sidewalks. It's very close to the mountains. It has lots of big lots and mature trees, and it's an architectural hodgepodge. Um, I live on what one sociologist has called the most socioeconomically diverse block he's, he's ever seen. We have mansions on the north side of the block. We have these modest little houses on the south side of the block, And then we have infill, which are, um, you know, the properties that belong to the mansions and that were sold off. And that's where I live. I live on an enormous um, lot in the middle of a block. And um, it's full of trees and it's away from the street. It's just um, a a cozy little hideaway uh, with a garden that I can't quite control because it's so big. Um, but like Dana, we recently put in a new kitchen, which is mostly glass. So it's it's very it's very green inside the kitchen because you just look out onto all of these trees and bushes. It's very pretty.
0: So let's set the stage of the Arroyo Unitarian Universalist Church, or AUC, which just gives <laughs> me so much pleasure <laughs> to say that. <laughs> Um, How many members does it have? Is it a mature congregation? And how would you describe the belief system?
1: Well, the AUK is, is, you know, my own fantasy church. Um, It has about 290, just shy. They'd really like to get 300 members. They can't quite get it. Um, In my imagination, I put it um, on a big piece of property very similar to the Theosophical Society, which is in Altadena. Altadena has always been like a beacon for seekers. And um, the Theosophical Society has a beautiful um, property here with gardens. And, and that's kind of how I imagined um, the auk being. It's, uh, they're Unitarian Universalists. They're very progressive. Uh, I would describe them as post-Judeo-Christian meaning that they acknowledge that the world needs even more wisdom than that found in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, And so they welcome people from any religious tradition who who want to join and be in community there. It's very community-oriented. It has the problems that so many churches have, which is it's got an aging congregation. It's hard to attract younger people. And it has, a, it has a really great variety of people, all of whom are represented on this overly large search committee of eight people. It's too big for a search committee. Can you read
0: page um, 36, the paragraph at the bottom?
1: This is um, an old guy named Arne who headed the committee to select the, church, uh, the search committee. Um, and he's giving direction to the new search committee. The search for a new minister Arne began in his slow, raspy quaver is a sacred task to be undertaken with reverence and humility. You are as pilgrims embarking on a long journey to find your new leader. As with most spiritual undertakings, there will be hills to climb dark valleys to cross with doubts, missteps, and bugaboos along the way. I was on the search committee for Tom Fox, and I can tell you, surprises hide around every corner. You'll encounter jolts, joys, disappointments, and many wondrous moments. A holy search is the experience of a lifetime. You'll come to know your companions well and become marvelously close. Forty-seven people applied to be on this committee, Arne continued. Together, you represent as many aspects of church life as we could assemble in one group. Arne's voice rose with emotion. Together, you form a church in miniature, and as such, you'll choose the next minister for us all. Also, every one of you wrote the same thing in your letters. Before we leave tonight, let's see if you can figure out what, what it was. Time to burn? said Belinda, out of our minds, said Adrian. So
0: these these lofty expectations of this search group isn't quite what comes to fruition. Have you yourself ever
1: been on a search committee at a UU? I was. I was on a search committee for just an assistant minister, which is only like a two-month commitment as opposed to a year-long commitment. And we were completely amicable and had no conflict and, um, you know, got along perfectly and found somebody marvelous.
0: And yet you got the idea because you thought this would just be the perfect way to have, like, a village of conflict.
1: Well, two things kind of inspired me. One, the applications that uh, ministry sent in had a lot of interesting narrative answers like, um, what's a mistake that you made in ministry and what did you do to repair it? Or how did you get your call to ministry? And they had to write these little stories about themselves, which, you know, as a novelist, my the, the kind of antennae rose on the back of my neck, like, this is narrative, this is interesting. And then also... Um, we found someone that, right away that we really liked, but we had to do a little bit more detective work on them. And we found out that actually um, they were not going to work out. There were some ethical problems. And that little bit of detective work also seemed very novelistic to me. How do you get to know these characters through you know, their self-presentation and then you kind of get behind that and you just keep digging to find out if this is the person you want to lead your church Seemed like a novel to me. I'm so curious
0: what it was like for you to write the sermons that made up the get to know you packets from the ministerial candidates.
1: I know um, it was it was hard and it was fun at the same time. I really hadn't written a sermon since about a year after um, I left seminary. But I read, I had to read a whole lot of sermons to try and see where the variety was and to try to find the voice of each uh, minister that I was trying to portray through their sermons and what their theology was and what they were going to preach on. Um, It was time consuming, but I actually had a lot of fun. Sermons are such a beautiful form. They're they're like an essay, but they, they include stories and poems and um, you know, texts and, um, I don't know, uh, wisdom and observation. And and uh, they can just be, you know, these sort of beautiful messages sent directly to the soul.
0: Give us a little snapshot of maybe one or two personalities on the search committee and one or two personalities of the ministerial Candidates.
1: Okay, well, with the search committee, you know, as you know, there are eight of them. Uh, One is the youngest member. Her name is Jenny Kanamatsu Ross, and she is a very brash, opinionated young woman, just determined to get her own way. And she's very charismatic to other the other young people on the committee, and really. I mean, she can be pretty annoying, but she can also be pretty smart. So that's the youngest. And then the oldest is uh, Belinda Bauer, and she's 82. She uh, was a church secretary for 12 years. She was a church president. She's the church historian. She's the data bank, and she's all, you know, bylaws and— um, you know, correct procedure. uh, And naturally, the two of them are the far extremes on the search committee. Um, There are six other people, of course, in between. There's one for every decade. Uh, As for the the ministerial candidates, well, they are a wide range. There's one woman who's uh, a Wiccan, uh, which means uh, a, a witch. She's a member of a coven. Uh, She's just come out. Uh, She's a lesbian, but um, has just come out and uh, is changing her life, wants to change churches. She's also, and this is what I love most about her, is that she's an uh, environmental warrior. And as a minister, what that has meant is she's gotten Uh, her entire congregation at her present church to know all the animals and the bugs and the birds and the plants on church property. She's made them intimate with the nature that they live among, which I think is, is a marvelous thing. So there's one. Another applicant would be, well, Perry Fitzgerald. And he is an ordained Buddhist monk who was... Uh, told in a, in a small conference with Thich Han that he should stick to Western traditions. And the Western tradition that he found that most suited his belief system was uh, Unitarian Universalism. So he um, he's also a former uh, professor of Eastern philosophy and religion. So he didn't have to take too many classes to become a minister, but... He actually is the person who has uh, uh, some problematical things in his background, and
0: and there's a member of the um, of the search committee that I found so interesting, Curtis. I, I loved it that he was a member of the search committee who doesn't really understand the essential nature of Unitarian Universalist doctrine or lack thereof.
1: Yes, Curtis is brand new to the church. He's only come. He's only been coming for two months. He's gay. He's um, Filipino American. His husband's been coming for a long time. But Curtis was really useful to me, Evan, because he he knows nothing about the church. You know, staff? What staff? And, you know, do you guys believe in God or, or do you not believe in God? He asks um, the questions that I think uh, readers want to know, what's R.E.? You know, religious education, they all say back to him. But he was a very useful character that way.
0: I'm Evan Kleiman, sitting in for Michael Silverblatt, and you're listening to Bookworm. I'm talking with L.A.-based writer Michelle Hunovan about her new book, Search, a Novel. We'll continue after this short break. I'm Evan Kleinman, host of Good Food, sitting in for Michael Silverblatt on Bookworm, and I'm speaking with Michelle Hunnevin, author of Search, a Novel. You write that Dana was criticized for, um, for writing about the search committee because Dana herself decided to write a book. Um, and she had exposed too much of the bes- behind-the-scenes machinations of a church its search Mm -hmm. committee, its secrets. Not many people know how this selective process for a minister of a UU works. Why was it important for you to go into the details about that process?
1: Well, it wasn't just um, UU search committees that interested me. It was also academic search committees and also corporate search committees. Once I thought about writing a book about a search committee, Evan, I heard so many search committee stories and, and it seemed to me that if you've ever even been on a committee, you know, there's something in this book that you can relate to. Uh, I liked um, following the procedure uh, that's, you know, available in the handbooks that they give to these search committees um, it gave structure to my novel to know that they had to, you know, in the fall they had to do a survey and have uh, meetings with the congregation to find out what they wanted. Uh, in the in the early winter, they had to, you know get the applications and the packets and start meeting ministers. I like that there was a whole year of of procedure that, uh, my search committee needed to follow. It was a great structure for a novel. Did you know that Jenny
0: would become so obstreperous early on?
1: I did not. She was really a surprise to write, and sometimes she would just make me laugh out loud. She was, she was so obstreperous. What a great word. I mean, really, a bully. She's a bit of a bully. Even when, you,
0: when, when she and Dana would go to um, a review restaurant, um, she always had some comment, some, some uh, phrase that she would use to describe the food that she generously offered to Dana to use in her review.
1: Well, what, one of the fun things about writing this book is, you know, I as a restaurant critic for like 15 years... And I got to write about what that was like and some of the some of the things that happen when you're a restaurant critic. And one of the things that's always sort of, you know, amused slash annoyed me is that some people, when you take them on a restaurant review, think that they've been invited to actually review the restaurant. That they're not just there to eat.
0: <laughs> that's so funny and so presumptuous. <laughs>
1: And Jenny is one of those people. Um, there's another review where Dana takes out the um, uh, the bell the bell ringing um, conductor and his girlfriend, and the girlfriend does another thing that happens on restaurant reviews where she's so excited to be on a restaurant review that she says in front of the hostess, "I can't believe I'm on a restaurant review." And uh, people would do that or they'd be so happy with a the meal, they'd go, thank you, LA Times. Oh, Always in front of somebody. <laughs> Horrifying.
0: <laughs> so read us a little bit of some of Jenny's um, restaurant review wisdom.
1: Here's Dana. I'd chosen a small new Cal French bistro in Highland Park. I'd been there once and eaten fresh, plump mules and a classic fish soup with some lovely, not expensive, sparkling wine. As the young chef-owner's first restaurant, it was a modest production. So far, his wife was the only server. As she seated us, I ordered a bottle of rosé. The walls and tablecloths were a warm gray, the banquettes, seat cushions, and napkins crimson. These colors, Jenny said, they remind me of a bleeding mouse. She laughed, pleased with herself, then whispered, You can use that in your write-up. Say, the color scheme is Bleeding Mouse. She glanced around. And that chandelier is El Cheapo from Ikea with extra stuff hung on it. It's expensive to open a restaurant, I said. People have to make do. And there's a whole design cult of Ikea hacks. I could show them a few myself. She checked the back of her silverware. Ikea, too, she shrugged. Maybe the food will be good. It was the last time I was here. Jenny twisted in her seat to locate the server who was talking to a table of four, the only other customers. They should hire another waiter. That one spends too much time talking to her friends. Jenny leaned over to me. You should put that in too. The waiter talked to her friends while we waited for our wine. (laughs) You can't win. (laughs)
0: No. You say about Dana's life work that it's about how we live in this world. Is that what your work is about?
1: Um, That's a good question. I think that when Dana's having a conversation with an old friend of hers from seminary, uh, they discuss how um, ministers tend to preach about the same thing over and over again. And Dana's tag is, how do we live in this world? And Dana believes that the more comfortable we are being alive, the more comfortable we are um, living day to day, and, and she means psychically comfortable, psychologically comfortable, the more spiritually at home we are. And I guess that I would say um, that's my feeling. I don't know if... It permeates my writing that much. I don't. I don't think I, I give any lessons on how to how to get there, how to live in this world. But I do raise the question, and as one of my one of my characters, another character, another minister um, ministerial applicant says, you know, asking these questions and and sitting with them, is you know when you when you have answer, when you have entered the holy.
0: Well, thank you so much, Michelle. It's such a wonderful book, and one of my favorite parts of it is that it made me go back and reread James Land.
1: Oh, yeah, I kind of I kind of put you in James Land a little bit.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I yeah. love that book, though. Thank you, and thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to you, Evan.
0: That was LA-based author Michelle Hunnivan, writer of the recently released Search, a novel. She's also written four other novels, Round Rock, James Land, Blame, and Off Course. Her books have been New York Times Notable Books and finalists for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award. She occasionally writes about food and teaches creative writing at UCLA. You can visit kcrw.com bookworm for today's episode of the show, available at all podcast services and on demand with KCRW smartphone apps. Thank you so much to Anna Bus for production assistance on this episode, as well as P.J. Shahamat. I'm Evan Kleiman. I've been sitting in for Michael Silverblatt. I am a book. She's a bookworm, she's a bookworm, we are a bookworms. I would just this,
2: I am a bookworm, we are book bookworms.
0: Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. This program is produced in the studios of KCRW Santa Monica. You can access archives of all bookworm programs and podcasts, the most recent ones, at kcrw.com bookworm. The bookworm themes were composed and performed by Ron and Russell Mayle of Sparks. I am
2: a bookworm, he is a bookworm, she is a bookworm, we are all bookworms.